1: Now it's time for Kit Corner, where we shine a spotlight on artists who've created products with the film and television industry in mind. Products designed by artists, for artists.
0: Hi, Georgia.
2: Hi, JL.
0: Now, Georgia, you're sharing a product with us today that I myself use every day on set and am thankful I have it in my life. It is the Linear Standby Belt, also known as LSB. So... Where did the idea come from for the
2: LSB range? Okay, so Linear Standby Belts came about as I was tired of lugging around an overfilled, heavy shoulder bag. I'd done that for years, mm-hmm. and I'd had endless pain in my neck, in my back, and my shoulders, I was getting massages and, you know, seeing physios and all that sort of thing. And I just was sick of rummaging around looking for things on last looks in just a massive bag. I was actually hiking the Milford Track in New Zealand and it registered to me whilst I was wearing a very heavy backpack that our hips are designed to carry weight. Mm. So the shoulders are made up of lots of fine muscles, which fatigue really easily, but obviously our hips are supported by our legs, which are a much larger muscle group. I felt that a customizable tool belt for hair and makeup artists had to be the way forward, and when you think about, you know, how many decades it's been working for builders, why not us? Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, so I designed it that it consists of a padded belt with easily interchangeable pouches. So, it offers a wide range of onset solutions depending on your needs. So, whether you are a hairdresser or a makeup artist or both, you can make up the belt to suit your day, your job, you know, your requirements, whether you're looking after one person, three people, you can just design it to suit. Your needs.
0: That's awesome. I used to find myself buying a different set bag for every job almost, depending on, you know, different sizes and shapes and all that type of stuff. So if you just have this one system with the interchangeable pouches, it makes life so much easier because you already know how you like each pouch to kind of be set up and where you like to put things, and it just makes life so much easier.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And we have PVC pouches, you know, obviously the clear ones so that you can see but then we also have the black polyester for the things that you want to be a bit more discreet about so things can be hidden away as well. Over the years, as the product has developed, we now have pouches on a Velcro top, which just makes it so much easier for swapping in and out. And even if you need to leave set and leave a couple of actors to somebody else to look after, you can just Velcro off your active eggs mm-hmm. and pass them on to another crew member, which is really great as well.
0: That's awesome.
2: Yeah. Um, so what is the feedback you receive from customers using the belt? It has been incredible because we've had amazing feedback from our customers and I get so excited and I'm so thrilled when I hear someone tell me that it's completely changed their working day. And it's really lovely. Sometimes we just get, you know, random emails from customers or might be somebody posting something on their social media just saying how much they love it and the belt is it's so comfortable that when you're you forget you're wearing it um it's always with you and the best thing is that there's no more clutching actor bags under your armpits that is saying
0: something after working 12 to 17 hours if not more on set and that you're still comfortable wearing it at the end of a day like that to me is amazing
2: Well, that's exactly right. And there is something about when you're wearing the belt because, you know, as we all know, the hours are incredibly long most days. And so when you are wearing the belt, there's almost something about, you know, when you click it on, it almost kind of pulls you up into line. I think that it keeps your core a bit stronger because you are, you know what I mean, you're aware of your body when you're wearing something around it. I actually feel for me personally I really love wearing it because I just feel like it pulls my posture into line more than when I'm not wearing it you know it's quite a comforting feeling just clicking it on and off you go
0: yeah 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 (laughs) that's awesome so
2: how can people find your product is LSB international it is sold all over the world which is really exciting we've got Wonderful retailers, and we do ship worldwide. So if anyone's interested in looking at the range, please do go to our website, which is linearbelts.com. You can check out our stockist page for a retailer near you. But we would love to offer Last Looks listeners a 20% discount off the range when you shop at our website only. So again, the website is linearbelts.com. And at checkout, if you enter the coupon code... Last Looks20, all in capital letters. We'll be happy to offer a 20% discount. Yay! Thank you. That's exciting. Thank you. (laughs) Gotta spread the LSB
0: love. LSB love, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for sharing um your awesome product, Georgia. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Today, we're speaking with hair designer Ann Morgan about her work on the new FX on Hulu mini-series, Mrs. America. Let's dive into some 70s hair.
2: Pictures up, last looks, rolling, and action.
1: Hey Morgan, welcome. Hello, JL.
0: <laughs> How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Great. So we're here to talk about your hair design work on Mrs. America, the FX mm-hmm. on Hulu show. I was thinking maybe we could start with you explaining the premise of the show.
1: Yeah. So it is, you know, period piece. It takes place 1970 to 1980. It's the storyline of a woman, Phyllis Schlafly, who was the leading activist of the anti-ERA movement. And we meet all of the characters that were real women, a few that are fabricated, but in as a whole, a few of the women who ran the ERA campaign from the other side. And so you have two factions, the pros and the antis, as we like to refer to them as. And it's just the story of how the amendment the ERA was brought down and didn't pass and you know that's it's not a spoiler alert it's a fact but we learn a lot about uh, a lot of different women that certainly I didn't know about and a lot of people didn't know about just um, a missing factor in our history books in
0: school no I had no idea about most of it so it was it is very eye-opening to watch so if we start with initially becoming involved in the project how did that come about
1: uh, well, I have a longstanding relationship with the producer who found the project, developed the project, brought it to Dobby, and um, that's Stacey Sher. She approached me January 2019 and asked okay. me to be a part of the project, just to kind of come in and knowing I was already busy and that I would just kind of help it get off the ground, get the wigs in process so that they wouldn't lose any footing to stay on schedule and evolve from there. and. Um, just ended up being that I, I stepped in to, in fact, design the hair for the project. Um, albeit Phyllis Schlafly, uh, Kate Blanchett uh-huh. has uh, the wonderful Carrie Warren that uh, was her designs were handled by Carrie. Awesome.
0: The cast is massive. I mean, there's so many big names in there. The powerhouse group of women is. Crazy. So that must have been exciting as those people were being cast in those roles. Your mind must have just been juggling with all the ideas of how to get these women to look like these historical figures. It's amazing. So can you talk us through your process when designing some of these characters? Maybe if we start with the African-American representation through here in the storyline.
1: Well, first of all, obviously, the character that comes to the front is, is a Zoduba's character, Shirley Chisholm, who, crazy enough, I mean, like, I didn't know who Shirley Chisholm was. I it's embarrassing to say, but it's true. Uh, she was the first African-American to run for president. And... It's nineteen, you know at what, seventy two whatever I mean it's it's yeah. it's pretty incredible. and to be able to represent her on film, you know, I was really had a lot of attention in paying her due amount of respect. and so studying Shirley Chisholm's trajectory into the spotlight of that time period. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very popular thing, both as an African-American and if you were Caucasian, like it didn't matter. Wearing wigs was a very popular thing. Wig pieces and wigs, you know, you could be a, a blonde normally and you would come back with black hair one week, you know, and then the next week you'd come out with red hair or frosted hair or whatever, you know, I know my yeah. mom did this, you know, going to the salon That's every week awesome. with was It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. I just accepted it too. It was like no big deal. But anyways, Mm -hmm. um, with the representation of African-American women, and in particular, Shirley Chisholm in our story, you know, Shirley Chisholm was a woman who had to play politics with the heaviest hitters that were these, you know, old white guys and would want to be accepted in the room, would want to be, uh, noticed in the room, not just because she was African American, but certainly because she was a woman, but to be taken seriously. So I think her probably psyche and game on that in some way would be to be accepted in a way that was, uh, non-threatening to these to these men. This is just like my personal mm-hmm. study of like looking at her and trying to figure out the best way to represent her and and she wore a lot of different wigs and so you know to change wigs all the time it becomes a little distracting you know um, when you're mm-hmm. telling a story with so many characters so, you, so we made that yeah. creative choice to use like really basically one style of wig which was her most popular in images the popular uh, style that we see her in at the democratic convention or in other forms where she spoke so that wig that makes sense yeah right and so so i think that's something that we have to do right i mean you decide sometimes creatively um how you keep an audience focused and not too distracted especially with some characters absolutely yeah So the wig that Shirley Chisholm wears is, you know, like a wig that I think I got at his and her hair on Wilshire, or Mm -hmm. maybe a wig that I got in New Orleans. I I spend a lot of time in New Orleans. I love that city. And there's so Mm -hmm. many incredible black hair shops that are... In abundant with styles. So I, I just bought a ton of them and Uzo uh, showed up at my trailer. I was working on the Sony lot and we tried a bunch of different wigs on to decide which ones we would use or whatever. So I took this one. I did have it uh, refronted and fit so that it would fit on Uzo's head in a way that worked best, even though it was a stretchy cap wig and that kind of thing. And so that style was a wet set. It was, um, you know, it's a it's a trick to find a balance because Shirley Chisholm was really petite and little in the room. And although Uzo is, you know, petite, her features are broader and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, bigger than, um, than Shirley. So it was a balancing act in creating this wig that would make a bigger presence in the room, which I think was probably Shirley Chisholm's agenda. Um, yeah. her, her height, her whole silhouette became more noticeable. And you see pictures of Shirley Chisholm in front of the White House in the, like, the late 60s. You see her, mm-hmm. or mid-60s, in like a little pillbox hat in the same hairstyle that she wore when she was coming out of college and and then later we see shirley chisholm when she's older in the exact same hairstyle these little bangs this little bob it's very interesting and i think it was a conscious choice of hers you know to wear this this wig and have this presence amongst these white men in the political realm and in front of you know, a TV audience. And also, you know, the natural hair movement is what was going on in the grassroots of it all. You have the Black Panthers, you have African-American hair in Harlem and that representation in the beauty shops and salons that were coming out of Harlem in that time period. And which is a whole other thing that was going on just about having natural hair. But Shirley was trying to play with the boys, you know, these white boys. Yeah. I think that that had to be a very Uh, thought out process. So anyways, so we chose this wig and we have another one or two, I forget later to show her in a passage of time after she loses the nomination and later, but then we also have a very high end wig that we had wig maker associates make. And that was, you know, a lace front when Nisi Nassish's character, Florence, Kennedy if uh, Flo mm-hmm. goes to visit her at her house and you see her just in a more like natural place her hair is natural it's in that little style that she wore oh, and nice. I really loved doing that I really fought for that to stay in the movie actually um yeah to show her in a natural place not just what she put on um in in front of the the people you know
0: no that's really nice it just keeps it more real doesn't it it's more yeah. like life yeah. yeah it's fantastic there, there,
1: there were uh, that we have an entire representation of, of some of these great black women of that time period um, Flo Kennedy uh, Margaret Sloan and, and um, uh, a Column uh, that um, Mel Joyner plays all these great women mm. they're not all whether they were African American or whether they're Caucasian or Latino, that like, uh, Carmen Delgado uh, is represented in, in the show and, um, and Andrea Novato plays her. And there's, there's like, you know, we can only get touchstones on a lot of different women, you know, and but the storyline is yeah. sticking to the ERA amendment. So, but it was really great to pay respect to these women that were also heavily participatory and had their own, you know, cause that they were fighting for, as well as with women's yeah. ERA. You know,
0: Florence Kennedy and Margaret Sloan were both actresses wearing wigs for those, yeah. just yes. to get things to match.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were. I feel like, with the exception of um, Audrey Roe Cullum that is played by Melissa Joyner, introduced in episode four. She was a fellow Republican, African-American woman. She wears her hair natural, which was awesome to get to pick her hair out. And then we added some gray kinky hair into her hair, which was a character feature of Audrey Rokholm. So that was her own hair. But Bria's character of Margaret Sloan and Mm -hmm. Nisi Nash's character of Flo, those are wigs that we had built at Wigmaker Associates. In general, I have Wigmaker Associates, you know, Victoria Wood, long time, uh, wig maker friend of mine i would say um partnered mm-hmm. up with rob pickett's and they have wig maker associates as you know as i do know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're great and they are really collaborative and just lovely and to me they're african-american or black Wigs are incredible. Mm-hmm. And the detail and all the little th- nuances, you know, the build of Shirley Chisholm's natural wig was so beautiful. It only plays in one scene and it is one of my very favorite wigs. Don't you feel like JL that when you're doing a wig that you know the person by the time they sit back in your chair and you've only met them one other time, but you've been looking at their face or their wig for so long? It's like you've yeah. had these conversations. You're like, I don't understand why you're not feeling so close to me like I do to you. (laughs) It's It's all on the hair. (laughs) Yeah.
0: When you have a wig like that, that does only play in one scene, I mean, your fingers are crossed that that scene is going to make it as well, right?
1: Absolutely. It was important that they showed this moment of Shirley Chisholm at her home in a place of, you know, real, like real... Sadness, but not looking as though this was a downfall. It was just a vulnerable, like, sweet moment at her house to show the impact of it on her as a person and not the persona that she has to put on every time she's out, you know, out with the public.
0: And what about some of the men that we have in the show, Morgan? What did you need to do to some of them to get them to look like the historical figures that they were playing?
1: Yeah, you know, um, you know, it's funny because in general, as for so long, women are the secondary role and the men are the primary role in, yeah. in a story, you know. Um, you know, there are chick flicks and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in here, I mean, it really is that way. Like the men are, are secondary, but they are, you know, important players for sure. And I think all of our men were real characters and um, – You know, it's funny time period because it is really pre blow dryer, then the blow dryer comes in. And so we have the wet head look, which is from the Mm -hmm. early 60s. And then there were commercials that ran that I remember, because it was like 1970. And I remember the wet head is dead. And it was all about like not using a product in your hair and then the blow dryer and you know all of that kind of thing Joe Namath in his hair you know mm-hmm. being on these commercials on, on television but for Fred we had a wig made again this was a wig maker associates wig and they helped us because Dobby had cast John Slattery in the role um, and really mm-hmm. you know she had done Mad Men with him and you know he's always super dashing very very handsome on film and Fred is not that And and so we really wanted to make John a character actor, if you will, That's really what this was for him. And he Mm -hmm. just loved it. So what we did is we lowered his hairline and uh, changed it and gave him a more horizontal silhouette versus John's is a very lean and angular silhouette. Um, as mm-hmm. John Slattery or in and, and, and his more dashing looks, right? And, but as Fred, it was a yeah. more horizontal look. It was fuzzy. It was not particularly attractive. And then we have, you know, James Morrison character who, you know, was a real player. He was a swinger, actually, which is even more awesome. Uh, he <laughs> and his wife, there is like a whole controversy about him that comes out later. And it's, um, but um, so with him, we had some pieces in his hair And we tried to give that deep part for him. And, you know, hair for men at that time was like they parted their hair Mm -hmm. deep, very deep. And it was kind of like... grow their hair longer. It was so funny. It was, you know, not show the top of your ears. Silhouettes were wide. They were fat, you know, as Mm. the early seventies moves along towards the mid seventies and then we get hair growing longer. And so it's kind of funny when you see characters like Phil Donahue or Gary Hart, you know, like the way their hair was like, it was really – it looks – in life it looks like it was a wig. So, you know, it's yeah. funny when you do that <laughs> and you walk that line. But once you put them in the element with their clothes and you put them on a set and with the other women and the silhouettes of their hair, you know, then it works.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I always then, thought that about those time periods with men's hair. It's always just like, God, they, everyone looks like they're wearing – they look like they're wearing wigs. Yeah.
2: But you know, <laughs> so when you, you do it.
0: something in that period, you're like, yeah. oh, there's a little bit of wiggle room here to <laughs> – Yeah, there is. And and, use that nastier wig that you haven't used before. That's right, because
1: it's about (laughs) texture, isn't it? No blow dryer, you know? And then even when the blow dryer came in, the blow dryer had a, I remember Vidal Sassoon had a blow dryer that had the brush built onto it. And so, and it was this like almost a rectangular shape. And they would blow dry mm. their hair, you know, with that. And it would not be perfect. You know, the brush was kind of short and stubby, probably made the hair more yeah. fuzzy than it made it like smooth. And then we have, you know, African-American men um, represented that come in later in our storyline besides mm-hmm. Jay Ellis's character early on. You know, we do add pieces and kinky hair into their hair. And then we had some beautiful wigs made. So we covered the gamut. Nice. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah i you know it's a it's a it's a funny thing because first of all i think the casting was so amazing because not only did these women the actresses have a um a a, a thread with these with these women you know there were likenesses to them so there was that but yeah there was a grouping that was cast early on and that those were the wigs we could get off the ground early knowing that they would be in a minimum of two wigs if not three wigs each to cover the time periods um, that they were covering.
0: You got a bit of a head start with them because they were cast earlier so that's great. Yeah. that doesn't always happen.
1: (laughs) No no it's good and 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 deciding early on you know knowing that there would be a bulk of women and knowing that there needed to be different wig makers to make different wigs so that we would stay on schedule as the schedule began to get crunched you know so that was yeah. something that was you know decided early on how do you decide which wig
0: maker does what job for you is there anything in that or is it just who's available
1: or no there's a lot to that actually there's a couple factors one would be my my choice wig makers you know the the, the wig makers that i work with most often and having done hair for so long and worked with wigs for so long at this point you know each time is a is a learning curve and you kind of learn about wig makers and what their forte is and what they can deliver and how your uh, repartee and your dialogue will go with them and what the end Mm -hmm. result is. So in deciding who the wig makers were, it was based on one, what I knew that they could do. What was their area of expertise? Two, what did I think their workload was going to be and who was going to need more wigs, who would need less? And where were these actresses living and or were they working in a country or a state that was nearby or accessible to any of the wig makers? They're just all different kinds of factors. And when would those actresses be established to where were they all being established in the first week? And so I'd need them all. You know, it's just different things that came into play for that.
0: Absolutely, and I guess, I mean, the, the the first couple of factors you said there just comes down to experience. I mean, that's obviously years of trying different wig makers, seeing how you work with them, seeing, as you say, what their forte is. So that just is experience. I mean, you're not going to figure that stuff out straight away, are you? <laughs>
1: no. No, it's so funny. As we were shooting, we'd have these moments uh, in the trailer, Rick uh, Finlater, who is the department head, who I just love. And, you know, him, also, of course, and we just love yes. Rick. And <laughs> We love Rick. <laughs> oh, my God. He's so amazing. The best spirit just really keeps the game high and fun and, you know. Mm-hmm. He's a really great leader. And anyhow, um, Rick and I would have these moments in the trailer and it'd be like, you know, we did a clipper cut and then we did like a wig out of the box that you had to make look really great. And then there was like the the wig that was the $8,000 wig went on somebody. And then we had somebody in hot rollers and then we had somebody in a wet set. And then we'd like all in one day, you know, <laughs> And at the end of some like 15, 16 hour day, we'd be like, oh my God, did we pass the test? I mean, it's like every trick in the book we use every single thing. And that's the thing about experience and learning and, you know, having a voracious appetite for constantly raising your bar and learning every time, because every single job you learn, no matter how long you've been on the job.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's still, well, yeah, just constantly learning forever. If I think if you stopped, it would be quite, quite bizarre, because there's always something, something more to go on to. So, with, with it being a period piece, is that something that
1: you enjoy? Yeah, I do. I do. I like, um, I do. I like that. I guess what I like is, um, well, I, do, do I enjoy it? Yeah. Do I enjoy it more that, that I was putting that question into my head and I'm like, uh, oh, that's not actually mm-hmm. your question. It's just, do I enjoy it? Yes, I do. I love it. And, I love trying to replicate the essence of someone on screen. I love that. It's really a fun challenge. And I think it makes a really great relationship with the actor too, because usually their game is the same, you know, they want to look as much like that character as possible. And so it creates a nice bond between, you know, in the working relationship. You know, just to try and hit those marks of leaning
0: into getting to that character. Do you find that sometimes you get to a point, though, where it's like that's not going to work on you?
1: (laughs) And Uh, so there's a bit of wiggle
0: room where you need to make adjustments to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, you know, I do. I feel like that's the important thing to remember. And it depends on the director, right? The the thing to remember is that someone doesn't look exactly like them. And so like a character that they're playing, if they're playing a real character, unless yeah. there's prosthetics and you're doing some, you know, there's other heightened things that you can do, but let's say they don't look like the person because there's not going to be any prosthetics involved. And the point is mm-hmm. to create that essence of who that Person is. And so maybe their bangs on the real person, you know, hit the top of their brow. But maybe on that person that's playing them, the actor that's playing them, that doesn't really work on them. And it's not whether they're attractive or not, it's whether or not it helps the face become more of a likeness to them, you know? So someone like Gloria Steinem, Rose Byrne, that's a good person to look at for this. And that is, you know, it's such a iconic hairstyle and Absolutely. an iconic woman. And Rose, her features are quite fine and quite petite and little. And she's Mm -hmm. quite petite. And Gloria Steinem had a much more bold, strong lines in her face a big, big square jaw, you know, just a big, massive head of hair, big eyes, you know, really strong cheekbones, and all of these kind of things. And Rose has her own beautiful features, but they're much more refined, smaller, finer boned. And so, mastering how that hair, that massive head of hair would work on her and how to keep it out of her face, but keep it in her face, which is what Gloria did. Because it was
0: was such a thing. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) It's like a total, you know, fine line to walk. Um, Just thinking about that hairstyle with Gloria, was that a thing that a few women did like wear their glasses over their hair, like like their hair just so in their face like that? I I feel like I would, would drive me
1: insane. But yeah. it seemed to be a fashion. Yeah, it, it was a fashion. I, I mean, I remember as a kid being born in the sixties and raised in the seventies, if you will. Um, you know, you never wanted to show your ears. It wasn't cool to oh. have your hair tucked behind your ears and show the, your ears. Oh, so that's okay. why you always see women uh, of that time period. They'll have it tucked. And then the back part of it kind of comes over. You just don't show your ears. So also yeah. having it in your face like that, like it wasn't about being all off your Face, you know, when you had your hair, wearing it long, in that kind of, you know, uh, um, what do I want to say? That the the, the anti movement of, you know, what? Uh, I'm at a loss for words. Um, you know, not not I mean, a it's hippie the group, per se. Like opposite of Phyllis really isn't it <laughs> yeah in this story of course it is yeah but, I mean yeah it's like oh god hers is a serious hairdo hairdo helmet but yeah, yeah. that wasn't that was a thing yeah. And wearing the glasses so it would stay on her face, you know, so that it would Yeah. Yeah. And stay down the middle. You know, it 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 achieved many things.
0: Yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. a look. I mean, it, it looks cool. I like it. I yeah. just don't know if I could wear it. Like it yeah. would just drive me insane. Insane, um, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's a good that's a good point. Just the differences between those groups of women just from everything their hair how they were dressed I mean you obviously had to make a point of creating two different groups of of people of women just how they looked
1: yeah the pros and the antis yeah you know what what i found interesting and and in talking about it afterwards it's something that i noted but i didn't verbalize it and looking back in benefit of hindsight on the project itself i realized that you know one of the great things about that time period and women in general in that time period, the sexual revolution, you know, it was about individuality and it was about expression of your individuality. So things weren't yet taken to social media heights that MTV does in 1980 you know MTV comes into play and it begins the gentrification of wanting to replicate and look exactly the same like you're part of this group so you're like that and blah blah blah, you know and then later of course the kardashian of it all and everybody looking exactly (laughs) the same and at the time it was cool to be individual it was cool to wear your hair different all the time and and so what's great about that is you get an immediate identification of each character. And in this particular story, we have our two groups, the aunties and the pros. And although things were supposed to look fuzzy and real so that it looked like they really did their hair and, you know, it it has that kind of documentary kind of feel to it, if you will. You know, it doesn't look like somebody's combing their hair all the time. You know, the aunties and the pros, the silhouettes are very different. The aunties have a very s- smaller, tighter, rounder silhouette. And the mm-hmm. the pros are, you know, longer, softer, freer hair and movement, curls, fuzzy, like, you know, things that move, the hair moves.
0: Yeah, I guess they're not going to the salon every week to get their their roller set.
1: No, other than Jill Rucklehouse, she definitely has a hairdo. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Liz Banks frost she
0: she? She was while I was watching that. Is she
1: the only Republican um, female in that group of? in in our story yeah there i think yeah. there were other women that were but not in great number but yes she is the republican mm-hmm. yeah you know this is when politics did cross over and you could you know you did do that it was negotiations and you know people working together
0: and what about some of the other ladies
1: on phyllis's team yeah, we had um, Jean Triplehorn. I mean, everybody is in wigs. That's the whole thing. Oh, I think um, not Kaylee. Oh, um, Kaylee Carter is not in a wig, but her hair is like a wig. She has this gorgeous ginger-hued hair, but there's so much hair. It was <laughs> It's yeah. Hot and humid in, in Toronto, you know, that therein comes the thing where you're like, oh God, it's this is where wigs, you're like, well, we we, we make the wig do what we want it to do. And, you know, but with yeah. Kaylee, it was, you know, definitely a challenge because of the humidity. But yeah, so everybody's uh, in wigs, and that's Jean Triplehorn, this very round silhouette, this very conservative Catholic woman, the most tragic character, if you ask me. I just, it kills me, her character. I know, your heart goes um, out to <laughs> I just I can't take it. The scene at the kitchen no. table with Phyllis, I mean just destroys me. Yeah. But um <laughs> I mean really and Jean, I mean god, she's amazing.
0: You know, I don't understand how she doesn't have a husband with that cute hair do. She looks adorable with, with that. I
1: know. <laughs> We love her hair. We do. I just loved everybody's hair because I love the individuality of it. I think we talked about that, you know? It just yeah it just kills me that we've gentrified ourselves as women, that we think that, you know, we fit into these boxes and like the individuality amongst us is it's less and less, you know, this social media aspect of it. Yeah. Anyway. I digress. But, um, and my favorite is the character that I modeled after my mother. Thank you very much. And that is Rosemary's character. <laughs> right. I didn't know that. That's awesome. So that's Melanie Linsky. Melanie Linsky, yes, Melanie Linsky. I, I, when Melanie was cast, and when I looked at the few images that we could find of Rosemary, I was like, wait a second. I called my mom. I was like, mom, I need you to send me a picture of you when you were pregnant with my little mm-hmm. brother my mom has naturally curly hair (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's red and you know she is not the blonde tan feathered hair you know so my mom had this hair and I and when she was pregnant and this is not to make fun of my mom my mom is amazing but there were there are pictures of my mom you know when she's like eight and a half months pregnant with my little brother and her hair's all fuzzy and it's cut this little hairdo and I think it's adorable and she's got her glasses and Thing. And I swear to God, when Melanie like puts it on, I'm just like, "Oh my God, it is my mom!" And so I and just, she does look adorable. <laughs> oh, she's adorable, <laughs> and she slays it. I took this picture of her that is my favorite picture from the project, and it is her standing next to a car, and she's in the red, white, and blue with the glasses and the hair, and mm-hmm. I, it just kills me. It looks like every woman, like it just looks like America in 1970. I just in a hot station wagon and avocado green driving around in the valley with my mom and my little brother going to the like uh, that's so cool it just kills me <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah i have to say when she when she popped up on screen my husband's like <gasps> that's linsky isn't it <laughs> being yep. australian and kiwis we oh, you know can spot her course. a mile off but he oh was just god. like oh she looks cute look how cute she looks
1: oh my god <laughs> so, of course oh yeah yeah she's amazing she's amazing absolutely
0: um how many episodes are in the series <laughs> i think it's eight <laughs> is that a good question I know, is it I eight like, eight I think or nine it's, it's eight or
1: nine <laughs> I have a, and I, it's just it's, that's it's just a one-off,
0: right? Make it a mini-series?
1: No, we will just go nine. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's just say nine, so that nobody tunes out at eight. If there's nine, I just can't remember. <laughs> that's so horrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And it goes, you said before it goes from, did you say 1970
1: to 1980? Yeah. You know, we have some moments that flash back a little bit and and we move mm-hmm. into the Reagan era. So we definitely go into the early 80s. But um, yeah, that's our, our, the bulk of it is, you know, 70s. And is there much change throughout that with the styling? Yeah. One of the markers that I love is that Davi Waller, who, you know, created the show and is just uh, just such a phenomenal, uh, what she did with texture and depth of all these characters and weaving them all in and making it interesting, but also telling us history And keeping us, you know, engaged. Davi said she had this really strong point that she wanted to see, you know, Alice, the character of Alice, who is Phyllis Schlafly's best friend. She wanted to see Alice in rollers in the salon. It was in the salon. She wanted to show that social aspect of them, you know, in the salon talking about politics, family, whatever. Yeah. And then later okay. when they go to the convention, um the Democratic convention in Houston, she wanted Alice to arrive with rollers in her hair and be mm-hmm. like kind of caught off guard there. And so it's it's a, a story point that she wanted to drive, uh, helping Alice feel further out of sorts. And I was like, oh, my gosh, but this is the perfect time. It's got to be hot rollers there. And by that, mm-hmm. when we start with rollers, you see that that was what was happening in like – In pop culture, you know, that's what was going on. Women were in the salon on a weekly basis, getting their hair done. This is how they talked about politics. This was their social format for engaging with each other, connecting about family, sex, whatever they were going to talk about, you know, was there. Then later, when the blow dryer comes in and hot rollers and there's a change you know and I thought oh my gosh it has to be hot rollers here because it really will show that it's a turning point here both you know culturally and also just you know what's what's happening around you know besides just in our story in front of us
0: yes so they're going from the wet set with the rollers under the hood dryer to the dry hair dry hair yeah Yeah, with hot rollers
1: yeah so uh, it's such a massive change (laughs) yeah it was it I'll tell you something really interesting is that putting hot rollers on that wig was so Mm. difficult (laughs) because they're so heavy
0: and no that must have been oh my god
1: it really (laughs) really was and I'd be like oh it'll take me you know 20 minutes and I'll have her hair all set in the hot rollers and she'll be ready to go and it'd be like 45 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, who knew this was going to take so long? But they were so heavy and to try and anchor them without ripping lace with, and, and also – it really was tough on on Sarah because it was a lot of weight with a wig underneath, with her hair wrapped underneath that. Yeah. All those pins, all that stuff on her head. It was a real challenge. And definitely, she only survived by, you know, taking some aspirin throughout the day because that oh was – it was funny. It was something I just yeah. didn't expect. And it was like – yeah. I just love how it marks the socio-culture of it all, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
0: So – how many wigs do you think were on the TV show? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. You did a count. Thank you.
1: Yes, I did. <laughs> oh my goodness. Ninety eight wigs. Three hundred and fifty odd speaking parts, and yeah. uh, ninety eight wigs plus the background. You know, plus so background on top yeah, of it. Ninety eight wigs on speaking roles.
0: Wow. So what kind of team did you guys have to take care of all of those wigs? I mean, I know that you and Rick must've been absolutely
1: slammed. I was there as designer. Rick was there as hair department head. And then we had Paula Fleet, who is a Toronto-based hairstylist, who was our Toronto-based department head. And then we had a key that she brought in susan and then we had two gals who came in from australia that rick knows lou and um emma both who came in to help us and you know we had a moving trailer of uh, a sort of people coming in for background it it was really probably one of the toughest jobs i've ever done Strictly based on the fact that there was so much work and so many women and so many wigs and it's hard to get people uh, enough talented people doing wigs to begin with mostly, you know, I I suppose if we were in England, it probably wouldn't be as much, right? Or at least it seems like it wouldn't be as much. They have such great (laughs) training programs. Um, But in Toronto, you're quite pressed to find enough hairdressers just flat out anyway. And then it's busy. And then you try and have enough just to do the work. And then, you know, it was really tough. We had some insane work hours and it really pressed all of us. Emotionally and physically you know it was tough
0: because I guess it's that thing of with with time and when it comes to someone wearing a wig or not wearing a wig it's just like it may be less time for the actor or actress in the morning to get that wig put on but you have to have styled that wig before they come in it has to be taken off and cleaned and washed and reset and things at the end of the day so there's all that time on either side of the actor coming into your chair that has to be taken into account so Mm -hmm. as much as it's amazing for them to just have that wig popped on (laughs) in the morning and then you've got 98 of these wigs over the run of the show. Like that's a lot of time at the beginning and the end of your
1: guys' days. Yeah.
0: I would imagine.
1: It was, it was. And, you know, there's, there's a couple things. One, you know, JL, you know, that, that whole commentary of it's quicker for a wig to be put on someone. Right. Yeah. I always find that amusing um anecdote to like oh well if you that means they won't be in the chair that long right and you're like i'm not really sure who started that <laughs> mm. because i think yes, sometimes it is the case but yeah. definitely not always <laughs> definitely not always and i think you know the point of that is yes you don't have to make that actor's hair be what it needs to be as that character and it and it mm-hmm. is quicker in that regard but No matter what, no matter when you still have to wrap a head, you still have to, you know, put the wig on, refine it so that it looks good as it is on. And they still have to come back to the trailer, as you're talking about, you know, at the end of the night, get the wig taken off, get the hair unwrapped, and then set them Mm -hmm. out the door. And then you still got to clean the wig, block the wig, and possibly wash the wig and dress it for the next day if the show isn't backing up a hero wig with the same wig as a second, you know? And in this case, of course we did not. I mean, we definitely, they were very gracious with their budget for our wigs. They really bent over backwards, the UPM in Toronto and the line producer. So that's That's um, Mel Girardi and and James Scotchapold, Jimmy, those guys like, it was a challenge. They, were, I'm, I'm, I know they were pulling their hair, their hair out. You know, just dealing yeah. with me going, I'm going to get another wig, and there's more wigs, and you know, it was really it makes tough. makes a difference though.
0: It, does it just make makes a difference. a difference to have them kind of backing you up instead of going, really, no, no, can you not do it another way? <laughs> yeah, it's like no, this is yeah. you want it to look good. This is what yeah. we've got to do, and this yeah, is you got to fight. Going to take to do it.
1: Yeah, you got to fight for the integrity of what you're doing. You got to know when to say, okay that's all right we won't do that or find another way mm. to do the wig or you know you gotta find ways to go around it and you gotta learn where to pick your battles I think I find it the most frustrating time of
0: a day is when when I'm dealing with that battle is the simple thing at the end of the day when I need to wash a wig and reset oh, it and right. I've got people checking in and every five minutes going, uh, Oh no, no, take as much time as you like. But then they're destabling like, the trailer yeah. while I'm trying to set the wig. And it's was just like, guys, just yeah. give me five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. not like I'm just in here playing. I need to get this done for tomorrow. So <laughs> it's always at that point, I'm just like, ah, just give me more time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, Ooh, boy, we definitely, definitely got ourselves in some hot water on that one on Mrs. America, for sure. And, and I think it's always a challenge, you know, because they don't want you to be in the trailer to do that. And so you got to, sometimes you just got to find your way to be able to do that. Maybe you're just blocking it in the trailer. Maybe you wash it in the trailer and you comb it out. And it's great to have, um, I have these boards that I've had made up periodically. They're just a wooden, like a piece of plywood basically with a peg in the middle of it. And I have some that have two pegs and some that are singles. And I can just put the head onto that. I have a hoodie dryer at home and I do a hot box with it, you know, where you put the wig on the kitchen floor and you put the hoodie dryer yeah. over it and you put the box that the hoodie dryer in over that. So it contains all the heat and while yeah. you sleep, it dries and then you bring it in in the morning and then you got to dress it still. Hope someone from productions listening to this. <laughs> yes, we take yeah. wigs home. <laughs> we do homework. We take yeah. homework home. <laughs> yeah, I know. You kind of want them to hear it and you kind of don't want them to hear it <laughs> because, you know, they ask you to do it. If you're in a hotel room and you're sleeping in the same room, you know, that's a reason to have asked for a room that's like got a bedroom separate, you know, so that the yeah. dryer could be in the other room drying. Cause generally the trailer is going to move and you can't leave it turned on. No, exactly.
0: Oh, I was actually going to ask you back when we were talking about having multiple wig makers, did you try anybody new on this show?
1: I did. I did. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it, I mean, how do you try a new one? I just, mm-hmm. without, Oh, well, basically, it's forced, no working
1: to me. Can't, can't, can't. Um, you know, there's not that many wig makers. So you kind of know who to. Yeah. And once you've been around, you know what you're going to get. And you know, like I said, you have a repartee and a, and a working relationship with each one. So, you know... I knew that Gloria Steinem's wig was going to be an undertaking in and of itself, that that needed to be one person. And there are certain wig makers that the same person that ties the back nape hair is the same person that made the whole cap and is the same person Mm -hmm. that ties the baby hairs at the front of the hair or the whorl and the crown. Like there are wig makers that, that work like this. So from to be the wig, start to finish. Start to finish, one person. And in that, percent, that person right. understands all the nuances maybe of that particular actor. So if you have an actor that works all the time and that same person is the same person that creates their wigs, that mm. is amazing because they pick up on all the little flaws and flares that are that particular actor's hair growth patterns, and you can use that to your benefit, whether or not you're replicating someone that was a real life character that they're playing or whether or not they're playing themselves just so that it looks like it's growing from their head. You know, whether or not to use a new wig maker, you know, I'm, I'm a, big skeptic. It's hard for me to, you know, I have a lot of bars on what I need to make the wig work for me so that my job's not more difficult. And some wig makers will work with you more than others, you know? And my feeling is that you're the person, you as the hairdresser, are the person having to put the wig on every day. You're the person that's having to make it do what you need it to do. You've got Mm -hmm. weather, you've got time constraints, you've got maybe actors that may help or hinder and demands from the director or the writers about the character. And so if you start out behind the eight ball, because someone yeah. hasn't built the wig to your specifications, you are going to constantly be battling it. I did have two wigs on this show. I'm not going to say which ones they were. So uh, it was a naughty
0: child, if not one, two. Yeah. That are just You're constantly battling and it's just Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, it makes your job so hard. It also doesn't make you look like a great hairdresser because you're constantly in there and battling, you know, you're like, man, this is making my job way more difficult. Duly noted, I will not work with that wig maker given the opportunity again. I will make a different choice, you know? So unless they tried to work with you as you were struggling. Like admittedly, yeah. it didn't go the way they thought it was gonna go either. Or maybe you discover something along the way, like maybe it's more human than you thought. And now the hair that you had permed is totally frizzy and you don't want it to be frizzy Mm. or vice versa, you know, whatever.
0: You normally don't have the time to kind of work those things out. Do you? No, we
1: did have a major travesty on this movie. And that was that we did receive a wig back for one of the characters And it was one of the top characters. It was not, it it didn't look the way that I needed it to look. And the only way to address it color-wise was to have the wig maker address it. And we had plenty of time because they had built the wig early. Oh, that's good. So we sent it. Back and FedEx lost it on its return. And not only oh did God. they lose it, but they never found it. It was, you know, an $8,500 wig that production ended up sending someone to FedEx in North Carolina to the warehouses, which FedEx wouldn't even let them in. It was hilarious. I was like, they're not going to let them into the warehouses. And then FedEx even admitted that they have a warehouse that is full of just wigs. Just wigs that have been lost. What? Yes! This sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) And you know, when I say warehouse, I mean like football field size, you know, like warehouse. This wig went missing and production, you know, they pushed the schedule by a few days, but then that was all they could do. So we had to take a wig out of a box, have it refronted Mm -hmm. overnight by a local wig maker who saved me. The actress was completely devastated. It was Mm. very, very difficult. And, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, And again, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's fine. It's just that that has never happened to me where it never showed up again in my entire career.
0: Yeah. Nightmares. That's what nightmares are made of, lady. You lived a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) I lived it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No. I mean, you have to just step up and, as you say, you had to get something refronted to make it work you've got to do
1: something you've got to pull something out of the hat yeah you got to troubleshoot it was towards the end of shooting and it was everyone's tired and you know over it and so mm. it was really it really uh it really was hard it was really hard not
0: the best time for it to happen <laughs> <laughs> ever you don't ever, ever want that to happen That's oh my never god <laughs> i
1: never know i've never heard of a wig going completely missing and never being found so no and just knowing the
0: story now is probably going to give me nightmares. I know.
1: <laughs> Every time I send something off, that's I'm going way. to be like, oh, God. But again, you know, like, it's never <laughs> happened, and I've been doing hair for 30 years in film, and, yeah. you know, it's like this is the only time that's ever happened.
0: So, Oh, my goodness.
1: Um, So going back to
0: communicating with wig makers. Yeah. I'm just wondering – How do you find doing that when you're in a different country to them? Like, is it, I imagine it's so much easier to be able to pop in to a wig studio and just check in on something and be like, oh, I was thinking maybe, you know, this could be this direction, that could be that direction. I just want to check on the Uh, color, just have that kind of control over something while it's being made. But when you're in a different country, Right. And it's just through email or phone calls. I mean, how do you find that challenge?
1: Well, I i mean, I have to say I use multiple <laughs> ways to communicate. Mm-hmm. So first you have, like I say, you know, a working relationship with someone, or let's just say you yeah. don't have a working relationship with someone. So you reach out to your wig maker and you say, okay, here's the character and I create a board on almost all characters. And you and I have yeah. together before, you know, about these boards that I make. And they, they're, to some, they just be like, oh yeah, whatever. It's blah, blah, blah. But actually it, it perfectly encapsulates what I want. So it might be an image that's from the side, from the front, from the back. It might be different images of people like let's say they're not playing a real character. So you've got different kinds yeah. of like, I want it to move like this. I like this kind of curl. I like this kind of color or whatever. So you make these boards. And then I use my iPad and I draw onto the photos on top of the actor. Like I'll say, I want the wig to end here when I cut it. So it's going to have to come in longer. And and I'll circle something at their part area. Like I like these little baby hairs that this person has or, and I need the height to start at this part their crown. And I just draw all over it and I make notations and I send that. And then I have the phone call conversations. And then often when there's enough time, you can receive color samples and not only a color sample, but a textural sample. If you want the cuticle more open, you want it more slick, you want it fine, you want it processed, all this kind of thing. And in general, I will receive a wig that I will then further color. I almost always fut- futz around with the color. But I started in a salon and I knew how to do color when I got into film. So in general, I mess with it, you know. I'm always kind of game for that. But I like it arriving, you know, as I need. But sometimes in good you need... a place, yeah. yeah. Well, like Liz Banks' wig, Jill Ruckelhaus, her, mm-hmm. her wig needed to be frosted. Once it arrived and once I got it on her and I could decide where I wanted the bits to go, you know, so. Absolutely. I, I think once
0: I had a line producer there, when I opened the wig that had arrived from the wig maker to see it for the first time and they're like, Oh, but you can't put that on. That's not right. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> there's still, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't turn up from the wig maker, you know, ready to rock and roll. I was like, there are more steps that need to take place before this is ready. Yeah. You don't just, you know, buy it off the shelf, ready, ready to go.
1: Well, you know, um, everybody drives down Hollywood Boulevard and they see the wigs in the window and they go, yeah, I want that yeah. little, you know, that little blonde Marilyn Monroe wig. And you're like, yeah, that's not how, Absolutely. that's not how that's going to, Sure. For a costume. Yeah. But if you want it to look real, we're going to build it. It doesn't come like that. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Well, you know that.
0: Are there wig makers that do a lot of coloring work? Because I know, I feel like some wig makers will not, like they'll ventilate with the right colored hair to start Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. But then there are others that color afterwards. So if you're like wanting a blonde, they'll go and do like a full head of foils in a wig that they've just made. Have you come across that before?
1: Now, like, let's say I couldn't do color, right? Or I didn't have time. And Liz Banks wig was going to have to be frosted. Well, Mm -hmm. I would have had to find a way to define where they were going to lay that in. But there was just too much, like, I'm way too controlling to do that. I want to manifest what I want it to look like when it arrives. I'll tell you what, the wig that was made for Rose as Gloria Steinem, that Mm -hmm. is like, first of all, it's Marcial Carnival, who is a genius. Mm-hmm. He does a full plaster cast of a head on the actor. And then yeah. he, you know, pours a mold of their head and then builds the wig, right? Martial, he's it's a very heightened sense when you work with Martial. He's such a perfectionist. He has a really high bar and very little patience. Yet his wigs are phenomenal. And the, yeah. the wig for Gloria needed someone like Marcial that knew how to make it work if he was on set. They didn't, he yeah. doesn't just make wigs. He knows what it's like to be on set as a lot of Mm wave makers do, but like truly he does. So he built in those highlights. We further highlighted them a bit more, but pretty minimal, pretty, pretty minimal because Mm -hmm. we needed it to have a diffusion to it. So it didn't look like a balayage chunk, skunk-like, it needed to have diffusion. So let, let's say one layer of tying them was seven hairs of blonde and three brunette. And then the next layer would be six hairs of brunette. And four blonde. And then the next one would have the seven of the blonde, you know, like whatever it was so that it looked like it was growing from her hair. It had a softness to it. It didn't look Mm -hmm. like a skunk. It didn't look like balayage, you know? And he understood that. He also understood that Gloria Steinem's hair had a a frizzy quality to it that I was very adamant that we wanted that to show. She definitely had her hair done in a salon. We wanted the hair to have a curl to it that when the when the humidity of Toronto kicked in, that that would even exacerbate it more, you know? And then also to be able to get height in the back with all that length, it's so heavy. So mm. he left the returns longer so that the back combing... So just- through her little bump and the top. That's right. Hair. That's right. Yeah. So if you have a longer return, you've got two opposing cuticles working against each other. The return opposite from the hair that's laying. And so it allows you to mat, to tease, to backcomb and have it stay in a better way. And then typically I like my returns cut right on down to the quick, which means you've got to be careful yeah. about the way you treat that wig. But these were all things that Marciel understood and and they all played into how the color was laid. And Peter Owen is someone who works very, um, you know, specific to the way that he does. His wigs are made exactly the way he makes his wigs. Nobody else makes the wigs like he does. And so, you know, he's got his whole process as well different. Absolutely.
0: I just will say to let everybody know that I saw the Gloria wig in person and it was beautiful. <laughs> it caught my eye immediately. I was like, Oh, look at that wig. Oh my goodness. When it was on the block, I was just like, let me touch it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. It was a stunning piece of work. And, you know, Martial just delivered above and beyond. And it was so incredible. Rick is the one who, on a daily basis, was with Rose beginning to end and and made that hair come together every single day, every moment on screen. I want to ask, in your line of work, what product and what
0: tool do you find you always use on a job?
1: With wigs or without wigs? Whatever you'd like to answer. By the way, what (laughs) job do I do anymore that doesn't have wigs? (laughs) know what I'm talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my, God, oh my God! I don't think I get jobs anymore. You'd be so bored if there was. Yeah. Oh God! You know, the, the thing that just comes to mind is the oil. Oil. I use Philip B. Oil is probably the one thing. I use different kinds of oils and different weights of oils for for different effects. But mm-hmm. in general, probably the most refined, and yet still you're able to get multiple modalities out of it is the Philip Bees rejuvenating oil. I use it on wigs. I, I put it on wigs when they're wet and I put it on wigs as I'm working with them because, you know, wig hair is dead, you know, and it's, it's not on a head. It doesn't have oils. It doesn't have shine anymore. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And that's the way that I get hair to move Better have weight to it Mm in different places, have a sheen to it. That's the thing that I would say that I don't. I couldn't do a wig without oil. Uh Yeah, not wood. Uh, I couldn't do a wig without (laughs) oil, and um and I use it often with you know an actor's hair, anyways. And and I do have a tool, and and you know what my tool is? It's my blue tail comb by Comair that's the super tight teeth with the metal tip. And and the metal tip is so skinny by Comair that you can get in on the finest of lace with that tail comb. And the teeth are so fine that once you've combed through the wig and it's wet, you should be able to comb through it with that size comb. And a bobby pin, (laughs) a hairpin. What am I talking about? The German hairpins. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, the hairpin and the um oil those are my those are my things
0: okay morgan well thank, thank
1: you so much for your time and thanks for chatting thank you jl it was really great getting to talk about it especially with you and so thank you for uh talking to me on your uh, launch of your pod series which i think is just so amazing awesome yeah. okay thanks jl
0: If you would like to check out Anne Morgan's handiwork on Mrs. America, you can view it now on Hulu. For links to keep up with more of Morgan's amazing work, go to our Instagram at the Podcast or our website www.lastlookspodcast.com in the show notes. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time.
1: That's a wrap, people.